0: can help you who said that who's there I'm God and I said I can help you God really you can help me oh that's great I'm really scared my branch is starting to break okay for me to help you need to do one thing oh anything anything I'm so scared I need you to let go You need me to what? I said, you need to let go. I will then set you down gently on the ground. You do believe I'm all powerful. Trust me, let go. Uh, Is anybody else up there? (laughs) Well, we're gonna leave that guy hanging for a bit. I invite you to go in your Bibles to uh, 2 Chronicles. It's a book in the Old Testament, has some great stuff. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're gonna take a look at verses one through 30. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses one through 30. And we're calling this message, How Mighty is the Lord. You see, for the desperate man, what he needs to realize, there is nobody up there but God. The almighty God is the one we need. As David points out at the end of his long tumultuous life, he wrote, looking back over everything that the Lord had taken him through, he wrote Psalm 18 and the opening three verses of Psalm 18 This is what he wrote about the Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Now as Pastor Daniel mentioned, We are using the Apostles' Creed as basically an outline this summer as we take a look at very important doctrines in the Bible. And so the part of the creed that we'll be looking at and looking at in terms of scripture is this statement. Last week, Nate just did, I believe. But to finish that statement, the creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. Now, there is lots of scripture to back up that statement. It's a little bit like if you've been to Cayucas, the city over on the Central Coast, and you go about half a block away from the Cayucas Pier, there's a candy and ice cream shop there. I love that place. And every time that we're in Cayucas and we get to visit that place, and they always ask you, you know, what what would you like? How can I help you? I want everything. (laughs) That's a little like trying to talk about, I believe in God the Father, the Almighty God. How mighty is the Lord? Well, it's huge. So let's take a step back, all right? First of all, how do we learn about God? And scripture is clear, we learn about God two ways. First way, uh, Bible teachers and theologians call it natural revelation. And a natural revelation, we learn about God, first of all, in creation. That's why in Psalm 19, it says there that the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, the world around us, whether it is the stars, whether it is what we see in a microscope, just the wonders of it teach us about God. The other way we learn about God in natural revelation is our conscience. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, that even for people who have never heard God's law, such as the 10 Commandments, the essence of that law is written upon their hearts and their minds, their thoughts, either excusing them or accusing them, depending on how they live by that inner moral compass that God has given to people. The problem with natural revelation, though, is this. What it can teach is a lot about God, but it cannot teach us anything about salvation. We can learn from natural revelation that God is great, that God is mighty, and God expects us to act according to certain ways, but as far as how to get saved, forget it. That's where we learn about God in what's called special revelation, the Bible. The Bible teaches us about God again in two ways, and you cannot really separate this. The first of all, it teaches us about God by the very words it records about God. So again, going back to Psalm 19, this time verses seven through 11, the words of God are precious, more precious than silver and gold. The words that we have in our Bibles, whether you have an app or whether you have a printed copy of the Bible in front of you, those were recorded by some 40 different writers over some 14, 1,500 years, all of them inspired by the Holy Spirit as he bore people along, using their personalities, using their talents, but yet every word was inspired, breathed out by God himself. The other way that special revelation works in revealing God is the actions that God takes. So when the prophet Jeremiah had a crisis in his faith, that God had just said to do something that made absolutely no sense, and Jeremiah couldn't figure it out, the Lord said in Jeremiah 32 verses 26 and 27, I am the Lord the God of all mankind. Is there anything that's too hard for me? So, this passage, Second Chronicles 20, reveals how mighty the Lord is, and it does it by recording both the words of God and his actions. Now, this isn't the only passage in scripture that does this. But this one, it's nice because it's a self-contained story. As one writer put it, it was as though God's work through Moses and David in the Psalms and in the prophets were rolled together into this one incident. So if we're looking for an example of just how mighty the Lord is, here it is, okay? The main idea is simply this. The Lord can save anyone who seeks him. That's the idea. Now, it is a story. So a message outline simply takes us through the story. So first of all, we have, as we're gonna see in verses one and two, a sudden crisis. Then we see what we're gonna call seeking and praying in verses three through 13. Then we're gonna see the Lord's answer. And then finally, we're gonna see the Lord's deliverance, okay? So, let's start reading 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses one and two. First of all, the sudden crisis, here we go. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude, literally a great horde, is coming against you from Edom from beyond the sea, that's the Dead Sea, by the way. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Okay, little bit of background, because we're kind of jumping into the middle of Jehoshaphat's life here. Jehoshaphat was a good king, by and large. He was a man who spent much of his life following, seeking the Lord, obeying the Lord. But sometimes, he got sidetracked. And just a couple chapters earlier, One of those times where he got sidetracked was when he went and tried to help out a absolutely worthless king of Israel by the name of Ahaz, probably the worst king the nation of Israel ever had. And Jehoshaphat almost got himself killed helping that worthless man. When he returned back safely to his own kingdom because basically God protected him in spite of his stupidity A prophet came out and rebuked Jehoshaphat for what he had been doing, and Jehoshaphat, to his credit, accepted that rebuke and went back among his people and turned the nation of Judah back towards the Lord. So, the people of God and the king of God are doing what they're supposed to do, and then all of a sudden, here comes trouble, big trouble. Three enemy armies have showed up, and the deal is, they snuck across what we call today the Dead Sea. You know about the geography of the Holy Land, Judah is on one side of the Dead Sea, what we now know today as the nation of Jordan is on the other side of the Dead Sea, and there's places in that Dead Sea where the water is fairly shallow. They snuck across there, unbeknownst to the people of Judah, and when the people of Judah realize it, they've already crossed, they are now on the opposite side, they are now in the land of Judah, and they're at an oasis that we know this day called En Gedi. Here's the deal. They're 15 miles away from Jerusalem. Three armies. Now, Jehoshaphat has thousands upon thousands of soldiers that he's trained. He has the weapons. He has the capability to protect his land, but these guys are less than one day's march away from the capital. There's no way Jehoshaphat can get ready to defend his kingdom. They're already there. There's no time. All that to say this, walking with our mighty Lord does not always avoid trouble. In fact, it can attract trouble. We see that over and over again in scripture. Jeremiah, The prophet had a long, but it was a very difficult ministry at times. And at one point, Jeremiah says this, Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. Paul's last letter that he wrote from Manor Time Prison in Rome to Timothy, he wrote this, indeed, all who want to live a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The issue is not trying to avoid problems and evil. It's not going to happen. We're told in the Old Testament, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's going to happen. The issue, though, is this. What do we do when we're in serious trouble. So, what did Jehoshaphat do? He's just heard these three armies are right on his land. He cannot possibly respond quick enough to deal with the issue, so what does he do? Well, that's verses three through 13. Again, we're calling this seeking and praying, so let's take a look at verses three and four. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came together to seek the Lord. Did you catch it? Seek, seek, seek. Key word. Isaiah 55, six says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near." Now, notice they're not just seeking the Lord, but they're doing something else very tangible, and that is they're having a fast. Now, fasting is not something we really do a whole lot of in the modern contemporary church, but frankly, we should. Because biblical fasting meant you focus seriously upon seeking God, rejecting sin, and seeking the Lord's help and direction. Now sadly, a lot of times, fasting became basically something like what the scribes and Pharisees did to show it off to other people, made their faces look sad and disfigured themselves so that everybody said, oh, look at him, he's fasting. Look how godly he is. Lord said they've already had the reward, that's it. But fasting when it's done right, here's what it does, according to Isaiah 58. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will spring up quickly and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out for help and he will say, here I am. A question we should ask ourselves, guys, is this what is the first thing we do when we're in real trouble? Do we earnestly seek God's help? About 30 years ago or so, actually a little more than that, I was in real trouble. Um, I graduated from seminary in 1988, so that's a while ago. Did very well in school. Started pastoring a small church here in Bakersfield, discovered, number one, I'm not a church planner. So that ministry didn't last. Then, Linda and I came back to the previous church that used to be here. I was serving on staff at the church, realizing, hey, I love teaching the Bible, but the senior pastor had to tell me, I don't need another Bible teacher, Vance. I had to go work at a Christian school, Heritage Academy. The first year that I was working, teaching junior high at Heritage Academy, to put it bluntly, it was a train wreck. And it looked like I was gonna lose that job too. Four years, three different ministries. I'll tell you, we were earnestly seeking God at that point because he was our only recourse. So what is the first thing we do when we are in real trouble? Well, Jehoshaphat begins to pray. Let's start reading at verse five to see what he prays. Okay, here we go. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You who rule over the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not... Our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And have they not lived in it and built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you would hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not allow let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession which you have given us to inherit. He reminds the Lord of three things, okay? Verse six, he says, Lord, your rule is over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are with you. Nothing, nothing can withstand you. Verse seven, he reminds then the Lord about his past promises to Abraham, his friend. And by the way, in all of scripture, Abraham is the only person who is described as the friend of God. And the Lord, a thousand years earlier, had made promises to Abraham that he would not only bless Abraham, but he would also bless Abraham's descendants and would give him the land where Abraham sojourned all of his life, not owning hardly any of it. But God said, I'm giving it to you and to your people. And then in verses eight and nine, He brings up the temple. This beautiful temple that Solomon had built about 150 years earlier, where they were praying. And he reminds the Lord about what he said when the temple was first built. I'm gonna go back just a few pages in my Bible over to 2 Chronicles chapter seven. I'm gonna start reading at verse 11. has finished the temple, he's prayed a prayer of dedication, the Lord's spirit has descended upon the temple, God is blessing Israel, and this is what the Lord then tells Solomon and the people. Second Chronicles seven, beginning at verse 11. Then Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, Now this next verse might sound familiar. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. He reminds God about his rule. He reminds God about his past promises. He reminds the Lord of his blessing and his promises on that temple. Now, do you think God already knew all this? Of course he did. God is omniscient. He knows everything. So. Why would Jehoshaphat do this? Well, here's why effective prayer begins when we remember the greatness of our God. Notice he hasn't asked the Lord for anything yet. All he's done so far is remember and in the process, he's reminding himself and the people around him of just how mighty the Lord is. Are we so focused on our trouble that we have lost sight of how mighty the Lord truly is? It happens, doesn't it? You know, let me take you to another passage in the Old Testament. Book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, the Lord gives us and Israel a little tutorial, a little lesson of how great He is. So, Isaiah 40, I'm going to start reading at verse 25. It's God speaking. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created all these. Look up at the stars. With the naked eye, that's all they had. They could see thousands. Now we have these telescopes like the web and like the Hubble. There's trillions of stars out there and he's got a name for every one of them. He who calls them out, their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong and powered, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's how mighty God is. All right, back to 2 Chronicles. Verse 12 is where Jehoshaphat finally asked the Lord to do two things, okay? Look at verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? First thing, justice, that's what he's asking for. As Abraham said to the Lord, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Jehoshaphat can't handle those enemies. He's trusting God that God will do the right thing. That's a good reminder for us, not try to take justice in our own hands, but instead leave it to the Lord. That's the reason why Paul wrote in Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So the first thing he asks for is justice. The second thing is in the rest of the verse For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Did you catch that? That is the perfect action for them to do. That is the perfect thing for us to do. Because so often, we don't wait for the Lord to take action. We instead decide we're going to do something. And you know what? For us to do something rather than pursue and wait on God is usually the worst thing to do. Isn't it? You know, it's interesting. In Psalm 123, verses one and two, it says there that Psalmist wrote that our eyes are focused upon you, Lord, like a slave or a slave girl's eyes are focused upon their master or on their mistress. Think about, just for a moment, Um, I'm primarily, in terms of pets, usually a dog person. That's the reason why we now have three cats. (laughs) I love them all, okay? But cats are not dogs. But it doesn't really, if you have a pet, you understand what I'm gonna describe, okay? Imagine you go into the kitchen and you're making yourself breakfast or lunch or whatever, and of course, we have a potluck coming up, so now everybody's gonna be thinking about food. But you start to make something, and who is immediately at your side where you're going to trip on them? Okay, you get the picture. That's a picture for us of where our eyes need to be. When we're in trouble, what do we focus on? Where are we looking? Proverbs three, five and six, it says there, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight, okay? So they prayed, they've asked the Lord to do something and beginning at verse 14, the Lord answers. But the way he answers, it comes from a source that is totally unexpected. So look at verse 14. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jozael, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the middle of the assembly. So everybody's around at this assembly, and we're thinking, oh yeah, God's gonna speak through some prophets, some Isaiah, some Jeremiah. He doesn't do that. He speaks through through a member of the praise band, okay? Imagine, Lee's over there leading and now Lee is speaking for the Lord. Get the idea? But this guy happens to be a fifth generation descendant of Asaph, David's number one musician. So Jehazael comes from good stock. But God can use anybody when it comes to speaking out his word. So what's the message? Let's look. And he said, verse 15, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, This thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. Now remember this, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, the Lord gives directions where exactly they're going to find them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeral. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Three things. First of all, don't be afraid. The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Isaiah 2, take no account of man whose breath of life is in his nostrils, why should he be esteemed? And then, who does the battle belong to? Oh, come on, who does the battle belong to? Good, you're with me. Want to make sure you're awake. Okay? The divine warrior is on the move. God is gonna fight for his people. All they have to do is watch. Maybe bring popcorn, that might be nice. But just watch as God moves. And by the way, he's done this before. Back when Israel had just left Egypt, and if you remember the story, Pharaoh sent his army after them to re-enslave them, and Israel was trapped between the Red Sea and the closing Egyptians, and the Israelites were freaking out. And we're told in Exodus 14:13, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you have only to be silent. By the way, there's another time when the divine warrior is moving out. That is when Jesus returns. According to Revelation chapter 19, beginning at about verse 11 to verse 21, Jesus, when he returns, will return on that white horse wielding a sword, the word of God, and by the way, he has the armies of heaven with him, but the armies of heaven, if you look carefully at that passage and elsewhere, they don't have to do anything. Jesus takes care of it all. Okay? It's like this, guys. Imagine you have three scary thieves, robbers, who are breaking into your house, and you could do one of two things. Number one, you could call. Now, some of you do not know this guy. If you don't know him, just ask Pastor Steve. He'll tell you about him. You could call Barney Fife. <laughs> and Barney would show up and say something like, we're going to nip this in the bud. Andy, can I have my bullet? Or you could call the Incredible Hulk. Hulk smash! That's kind of the contrast here. We're gonna fight the battle on our own, like Barney, or are we gonna trust how mighty God is and take him at his word and trust him? Well, and finally, verse 17. Jazzael says, the Lord will be with you. That's all we really need. Okay? Isaiah 41, 11 to 13 says, Behold, all who are incensed against you, meaning against God's people, shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you will, shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Well, verses 18 and 19, they respond the only way they can and that is in adoration and praise. Let's pick up the story at verse 20, the Lord's deliverance. And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, "Hear me, Judah, and I'm inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed." Now, that's great in English, but the English here cannot quite capture what the original language, the Hebrew says, because our language just doesn't quite work the same, okay? But really, three times, three times, Jehoshaphat is telling them, believe, believe, believe. And by the way, the word he uses for believe, we use it constantly. It's the word amen. We say amen when we agree with something in church, right? So he's telling them basically this. Have faith in the Lord and in his prophets and he will have faith in you. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. James warns us in James chapter one, verses six to eight, do not ask God for something and then doubt. James says you'll never get anything from God, least of all wisdom if you do that. He says we're then being a double-minded man. That's wussy faith, matter of fact, that's not even faith. Rather, like Jehoshaphat is saying, we have to take God at his word. So what happens? Well, notice the next thing. Verse 22, oh, sorry, verse 21. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire, and they went before the armies and said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Who's going first? The praise man. They're leading, all right? And as they're going, they're seeing Psalm 136. That's the quote that you have there in your Bible. Sometime, take a look at Psalm 136, because over and over again, it says there, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. You wanna, God has answered our prayers, his steadfast love endures forever. God created all that exists, his steadfast love endures forever. It builds up like a crescendo. And that's what they're singing. And then notice verse 22. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. He waits until they begin to praise God and he acts. The Lord does inhabit the praises of his people. You are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel, Psalm 22, verse three. And notice it says in our Bibles that the Lord set an ambush. Literally, those who were lying in wait took action. Maybe they were angels, we don't know. We're told in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, that God will send his angels to keep watch over us so that we will not stumble. But however he did it, The next verse says, verse 23, the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. This is so typical of the Lord. He takes action, he takes justice, but he uses the weapons of Israel's enemies, God's people's enemies against themselves. They destroy each other. And when Jehoshaphat and the praise band and Israel's army goes over the ridge, they look down and everybody's dead. So for the next three days, they collected the spoils. It took them three days of work to take everything back from those dead soldiers back to Jerusalem. And then according to verse 28, they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. The Lord gave him rest all around. They didn't have to fight, they just watched. God's deliverance, and then they had a blessing, and they had a celebration, and the end result was peace. Oh, we can do our battles in our own strength, and we'll fail, or we can do things God's way, trust him, and have peace. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is the everlasting rock. Okay, in conclusion, how mighty is the Lord? We will never know unless We trust him. He'll let us try to figure it out on our own, but if we will trust him, we'll see how mighty he is. Are you willing to seek the Lord and to trust him with whatever it is that you're dealing with? Seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near. Well, as we conclude this part of the service, and we still have communion, so please don't, don't leave, please stay, we're gonna do communion after a time of prayer. But I wanna invite our prayer team, our pastors and elders who are here to come forward. We're gonna, we wanna give folks an opportunity to come forward for prayer, whether it's something in this message, whether it's something else, We want to pray with you, help you in whatever way that we can. So you come as the Lord leads.